Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf nun dalit. Today's shir is Ilun Ishmas ben Sion ben Ze'ev Avram Halevi, um, Avram ben Peretz, Leia Lunabas Asael, Dov Yitzchak, and Dov Yitzchak ben Moshe. May their memory be a blessing, and may the Neshamas have an aliyah. It's also for a full shleima of Chaim Aryeh ben Masha Leia, and... Um, and Pesa, so Pesa Bashaina Bela, and they have a complete and speedy recovery. Daddy, Daddy. Yeah. Okay, I'll find you the place. Okay, so yesterday we got up to the Mishnah on Daf Nun Gimel. We'll have to get a new plastic, but now remember, I'm in the middle of shit, I can't talk to you. Hello, Daddy. Hello, Yes, that's who I'm, I'm saying. The sh- I'm, yes, I'm saying the shir for more opponent to get better. So the the Hebrew name, the one person I'm saying refer Shlomo for is Homora, and she recognized the name, so she had to tell me. Um, okay, so we got up to the new Mishnah, which says, Mishenital Aaron. When the Aaron was taken, I when the base Amigdash was destroyed and they took the Aaron out of it, we'll come back to the language, is, was the Aaron taken? What happened to the Aaron? We're going to have to discuss that. We'll discuss that in the Gemara. It says, Evan There was a stone there. From the time of the early Rishonim. The Shtia Hoysa Nikris. It was called the Shtia. Um, this is the Evan Shtia, the Evan Shasia. It's... Are they translated as the foundation stone, which throughout the Sugya I saw our scroll translated as that. But another translation, which fits in with most of the Agadot as well, is the uh, the weaving the stone, the woven stone, and because or the weaving stone, because from there the whole world was um, woven out. It says, It was the stone was three fingers above the ground. and the Aaron was placed on. Oh, sorry, he would place this shovel full of coal to burn the incense on that um, on that stone. Not He would go and get the blood from the one who was stirring it. He would enter the same place as he entered for the katoris. So remember, he goes to the south goes between the curtains, heads north, walks back and goes, stands between the pot where the poles used to be, I where he did the katoires. Yeah, sorry, that's where he entered. Omad, he stands in the place. And he sprinkles it. One up and seven down. He wouldn't direct. Try. The sprinkling is said towards the katoires, towards the lid of the Aaron. He wouldn't try to hit the top of the lid or the bottom of the lid. Remember, the lid was a tefach, a fist thick. He says, he wouldn't try to sprinkle to hit it. He would just kamatzleif like a sling. Um, it sounds, according to Rashi, kamatzleif, yeah, let's just read it. And this is how he would count. Achas, one. Achas for achas. One and one, achas for time, one and two, achas for sholosh, achas for arba, achas for chamesh, achas for sheish, achas for sheva, until he gets up to one and seven. And this is, um, it's, if I understand it correctly, how Rashi explains the, the process is he'd whip upwards, one up means he would aim to sprinkle the blood higher up. And then each subsequent of the sprinkling would be in a line, again, along, along the floor. So up means the furthest away from him, closest to the Aaron. And then in a line that each sprinkling lands one beneath the other, I closer to him. 
that's that's kamatzleif. That's what it means, like kamatzleif. Again, he's not aiming. He's not trying to get it on the Aaron. He's trying to get it on the. He's aiming for the foot. He's not. He's not even really aiming so much, but he's um, with his finger. He's sprinkling um, in a line one beneath one sprinkle beneath the other eye. When it says one above, means the one that's going to be at the top of the row. Then he would leave and place the bowl, the rest of the blood in the, that's still in the, the bowl with the rest of the blood in, on this golden stand that was in the Heichel. They would bring him the goat. Remember, this is the partner goat. The other one gets sent to Azazel. This is the one that shechted as a korban. He would shechted and receive the blood in a, in a, in a, in a bowl. He would walk in the way that he walked in before and stand where he stood before, I between where the poles would have been if there was an Aaron. And then he would sprinkle one up and seven down, and it carried the other He wouldn't try aim to hit the he wouldn't try to get it on the kapoires, on the lid of the Aaron. Ella, etc. Just uh, Towards it, one up and kamatzleif, yeah, the and this is how we would count achas one, achas for achas one and one, achas for time one and two, etc. Either same as he did before. When he left, he would place it on a second stand, a second golden stand that was in the heichal, in the beis hamigdash. Rabbi Yehuda in the in the yeah in the in the kodesh. Rabbi Yehuda says no, there was only one stand. Not al dama parveniach dama seir. He would place the blood of the bull and remove the blood of the goat. We'll see. Um, um, yeah, we're going to discuss in the Gemara why the Chachomim learned there were two and Rabbi Yehuda learns there was one. Says He would then sprinkle the blood towards the curtain. Right, so now he's standing in the Heichal and he would sprinkle the blood. Okay, but it's a different curtain. I'm going to show you which are not those curtains. Um, he would sprinkle the blood. Um, he would be st- before he was standing in the Kodesh Hakodesh and sprinkling the blood towards the Aaron Kodesh. Now he's standing in the Heichal and he's sprinkling the sprinkling the blood towards the dividing curtain. So he's standing there and sprinkling there. Um, so opposite where the Aaron, so in the middle of the curtain, opposite where the Aaron would be, on the one up and seven down. He wouldn't have intent to get it on the curtain. and he would count as follows. We mentioned achas, 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 etc. Not He would take the blood of the bull and replace. Sorry, take the blood of the goat and replace. And place down the blood of the bull. And he would do the same sprinkling as he did with the bull with the blood of the goat. Again, towards the curtain in the middle, seven, one up and seven down, etc. Then it says, then what's the next step? So now he's finished the sprinkling of the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat on the curtain. He would pour the dam of the bull into the blood of the seir, and then pour it back into the empty one. So now he has a bowl with the blood of the goat and the blood of the bull mixed together. Okay, and that's the end of the Mishnah. Let's go on to the Gemara. Now the first point we're going to point out is the Mishnah said, 
by the when this after the destruction when that Aaron was taken. So he says Mishanigna is loikatani ela Mishanital. Amisha doesn't say when it was hidden, it says when it was taken. I says Tanan, we're going to see it's actually a machloikes tanoim. A machloikes, what happened to the Aaron? What happened to the Aaron when the base Amikdash was destroyed? So he says, we learned in the Mishnah, command Omar Aaron Babel. This is in line with the opinion that the Aaron went into exile with him into Babel. The Tanya Rabbi Lozor, Omer Rabbi Lozor says, Rabbi Eliezer says, Aaron Golala Babel. The Aaron was exiled to Babel. At the turn of the year, of the year, the king Nebuchadnezzar sent Vayavil. And he brought again Yehoiachin to Babel in Klei Chemdas Beis Hashem with all the treasures of the house of Hashem, which included the Aaron. Rabbi Shimon Yochai, Omer Rabbi Shimon Yochai says Aaron got to Babel. He gives a different source that the Aaron was exiled to Babel with the Jews. And Emar, as it says, Lo Yosir, Lo Yivaser Dovar Omar Hashem, nothing will remain. And what's Lo Yivaser Dovar referring to? This is referring to the Aseris Hatibros in the Aaron. I, the Aaron with the Aseris Hatibros in it were taken into Babel. Rabbi Yehuda, Oimei Rabbi Yehuda says, Aaron bim koyma nignos. Aaron was hidden in its place. Shenemar as it says, Vayeiro'u roshei habadim min ha-koydesh al penei hadvir. It says, the tips of the poles were, uh, were visible in the curtain I, when you were standing in the Hegel. But you couldn't see them outside. And they remained there until this day. I.e. the Aaron granted a man not be actually in where the Kodesh HaKroshim used to be, but it's in the same place as it used to be. And that's the famous opinion. And this is how the Rambam Paskins, that's I think why it's the only one we know. We'll discuss shortly why the Rambam Paskins said. But it's the only one we know is that it was buried under the Kodesh HaKadoshim and there, if that's what it means, it was there at Hayomazeh till this day. Now we're just going to mention, we just mentioned that according to Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, the Aaron was taken into Golis. We're now going to show that there's another version of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai who holds that it was hidden. They argue on Ula. Rabbi Masya ben Chorosh asked Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai when they were in Rome. He says, We know that Rabbi Eliezer holds from two sources that the Aaron was exiled into Babel when the Beis Hamidash was destroyed. What and we're going to say the two psukim. Rishayno, Hashem. The first pasuk he brought to prove this is it says that they were taken out to Babel with the treasures of the house of Hashem, all the treasures. So Shnir, what Mahi? What's the second pasuk he used? It's see as it's written, Kol All its Splendor was taken from Bastion. My Kol Hadoro. What does it mean, Kol Hadoro? Read it as Chadro. All its innermost chambers, either things from its most private hidden chambers, either Kodesh HaKadoshim, were also taken. So that's what Rabbi Eliezer holds. So now, and then he said, Ato Ma to Omer. What do you, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, hold? So Omer Lo Shani Omer, I say, Aaron bim koima nignos. The Aaron was hidden in its place. Shenemar, as it says, vayarichu habadim v'goima. They extended the poles. I, he brings the pasuk that they had the Aaron in place, and because it says they extended the poles so that they were jutting 
into the curtain, into the parochas, the curtain separating between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim, um, uh, but, um, yeah, um, pushing into that, and it was remained in place, Ad Hayom Hazeh. So, Omalei Rava Le'ula, my mashma. Rava says, how do you see this in the poles? Do see, so how do you see that it remained, that the Aaron is buried in its place? It's buried, some, it's hidden somewhere under the Kodesh HaKadoshim. How do you see that? So, Dilsiv, as it's written, it will remain there until this day. It says, You telling me that every time it says, it means forever. I'm going to prove that's not so. Again, so the Havamina, our initial thought was by the fact that the Bosom says, it must be that the, it means eternity, forever, must be the Aaron still in its place. But that doesn't mean that, and we're going to prove it. It says, Vahotsiv, the S. Hayavusi Yoshev Yerushalayim, the S. Hayavusi Yoshev Yerushalayim, Lo Horishu Bnei Binyamim, the Yavusi stayed in Yerushalayim and the, bin, the people of Binyamim did not drive them out. The Yoshev Hayavusi es Bnei Aaron Yerushalayim ad Hayom And the Yavusi remained with Bnei Aaron in Yerushalayim until this day. Nahachanami, so to hear. Deloy Golu. Hachinami, Deloy Golu. Are you going to tell me that it means that the people of Binyamim? We're not exiled. It says they dwelled with the people of Binyamim up until this day. And we've just said that when it says Arayom it means forever. But we know that the people of Binyamim were exiled. As we're going to prove now, it says, Tanya, we learned, It was a period of 52 years that no man walked through Yehuda. Now, Shenemar is the Pasuk, says, Al-Harim, about the mountains, I cried and I wailed. Val the midbar and the meadows in the wilderness. Kino, I lament, uh, said a lamentation. Ki nitzosu mibli ish oiver because it is parched and no man tra- walks there. Veloy shomu kol mikneh oif and there's no sound of cattle. Me oifa shomayim vad bahema. Nor do halochu. There's no from birds of the heavens and until animals. There's nothing there. Nor do halochu. They all left. And We already said Mikne cattle, which I think includes Bahama. This is how I'm understanding the Drosha. So what's Bahama? Bahama is a gematria of 52. We know Bayes is 2, Hay is 5, Mem is 40, and Hay is 5, so 52. So this Pasuk says for 52 years no one was in Yerushalayim. So you can't tell me that Binyamim remained there until this day. They were definitely exiled. So that Pasuk, so we see that the phrase Ad Hayomazer. Is not true. Oh, we just carry on with this um, explanation. There were seven years where the punishment of Gafris Vemelach were applied by Eretz Yisrael in the land of Yisrael. I'm go- I'll read through, um, you know, basically what the Joshua is going to be is in Devorim, when Hashem's telling Menei Yisrael when they stray, there's a covenant that if they don't, the land will be. A covenant of Gafris Vemelach, the land will be uh, played with sulfur and uh, sulfur and salt, and we're going to bring that Doniel used in Sefer Doniel. It uses the phrase of the bris for seven years, and so it connects the bris. Oh, what's the bris that Daniel? The punishment that Daniel is talking about is the same 
Bris has this Gafris Vamelach, and there it says seven years. So it says Gafris There was Gafris and Melach Beirut Yisrael. But Amar Rabbi Yochanan, my time at the Rabbi Yosi. What's the source for Rabbi Yosi? I see a Bris Bris. He connects Bris Bris. Siv Hacha. It's written here. Vehigbir Bris LeRabim Sheva Shavua Echad. The Bris. Um, it, it formed a strong covenant for the mighty ones, the mighty enemies, for seven years. Uksiv Hosam, and it's written in Forum, Vamru al Asher, Oswes, Bris Hashem, Elokeavosechem, etc. They forsook the covenant of Hashem, and therefore the Gafris and Mela came. So, Omele, um, so, so that's the source that there was this Gafris Vemelach for seven years. Um, but again, it sounds like it was desolate. So again, what was our question? Is we said, how do we know that the Aaron Kodesh is? Um, how do we know that? How do we know that the Aaron Kodesh is in, is buried in this place? Because it says Arayom forever. But we've got another possible which says that Binyomim were in Yerushalayim Arayom which clearly does not mean forever. There was no one in that land for fifty-two years. So Omar Lay said to him, Hachaksev Shom. No, by the Aaron it says it will be there at Hayom Hazer. Where was it? Um, shom, and they will remain there at Hayom Hazer. But Binyomim it doesn't use the word Shom. And therefore, that's why it doesn't mean forever. It says, Ah, oh, so you says, Are you telling me that where it writes this word Shom, it means forever? He says, I challenge this. It says, Some of Bnei Shimon went to Harseir, and Oshim Chabesh Beos, 500 bed, Opalachio Venarvo, Nario, Urofio, Uziel, Bnei Yishi, Beroisham. The, the, these were the names of the sons of Yishi who went at the head. And they struck down the remnants of Amalek. And they lived, lived there in Bahar Sayyir until this day. And that can't be. We know that Sancheirev went and he mixed up all the nations. Um, Sancheirev went and he switched. He... Uh, he moved the the people who lived in Har Sayir in uh, and the people who lived in Syria and the people who lived in Belgium etc. He went and he mixed up the whole world, so no one was living in the original country. Shneimar it says, "Vasig vulas amim." I removed the borders between the nations. Vasudasehem shosesi, and I plundered their treasures. So to Yufta, this is a rejection. I so that pasuk is actually not the best source that uh, <coughs> that the Aaron is hidden under. But it seems that is how they still learn these opinions. Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai, um, who was who else? Rabbi Yehuda, um, that the Aaron was hidden in its place. Remember in Shkolim we had an elaboration on this. I'm not going to contrast them now, but just an interesting thing: the Rambam paskins that the Aaron was hidden in its place. Now there's a few issues with that. Firstly. Why does he have to paskin that? The Rambam is a halachic work. This isn't a halachic question. It's just uh, what happened back in the past. Why do we need to know? Um, so the Yavetz, he gives a very good answer. He says, because the Kedush of the Beis Hamikdash is dependent on the Aaron being there. And therefore it's still relevant. Do we have to treat the Beis Hamikdash with Kedusha nowadays that it is destroyed? 
And the answer is, because the iron is buried there, we do have to. If the fact that the iron was not buried there, we would not have to treat it with Kedusha. An amazing idea. Um, Rav Soloveitchik has a has an idea. I'm not going to go through the... But just to bring out one point, he says basically the importance of the iron is the iron represents the Torah. We had the Luchos in it, or say for Torah in it or next to it. So that's what the iron re- represents. And we have to remember that our whole connection to our Shem, our whole essence of Kedusha, stems from the Torah. And that's why it is essential that the Aaron always existed there. He says we know that in the second temple they didn't have the Aaron in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. But along the lines of Rav Soloveitchik says that if, they, if the Aaron was not there, then they couldn't have the Beis HaMikdash. They couldn't... They couldn't offer korbanos. They couldn't treat it as the base of midash. That's why you have to say that the Aaron was buried there. That's why the Rambam um, paskins that the that it was buried there to fit in with all these ideas. Um, it's, I think primarily the one of Kedusha, but I think it's just a beautiful idea to think about that the, the Aaron represents that is our source for everything. Is the Torah, the source of our Kedusha, the source of the holiness of the base of midash, is the source of our spirituality and our godliness all stem from the Torah and therefore it has to be there. And if you say that it was exiled into Bavan and it's not there, well then uh, that source is severed and the base of Vigdash would not necessarily have any Kedusha. Okay, that's just an interesting point to think about. Let's carry on. We're going back to what happened to the Aaron. Omer Rav Nachman Tanu V'chachomim O'yimrim Aaron Belishkas Dira Eitzim Hoyogonos He said, the Chachomim say that the Aaron was hidden under the chamber of wood. Um, so this is a third opinion. We've had, was it exiled to Babel? Was it buried under the Kodesh Akrosh? Hidden under the Kodesh Akrosh? Or was it hidden under this chamber of wood? So Amram Nahum by Yitzchak Apanami Tanina. We actually have a mission that says, There was a coin who was messing around and he looked and he saw that the floor was a little bit different. And we, Rashi explains that one of the tiles were like a little bit raised. Clearly someone had been messing around or had adjusted after the tiles had been set. Someone had lifted one of the tiles and put it back, but it was because it was a little bit raised. Um, and he wanted to show his friend. And they, he didn't get a chance to show his friend before he died, but they were aware that that's because the Aaron was buried there, hidden there, and he didn't want it, that secret to be re- be revealed. Says my have Ovid, what was he doing? So Omar Rabbi Khal Bobis Asay Pakardumahoyo. He was playing with his axe. And Tanad Vabrish Mol, Shaikh Hani Balimumim Hoyu Muslim Ba Aitim, Vinishmatok Kardumo shall effort by him, Vinoflo Shom Vyotza Aishva Okhalto. There were two Kohani who were taking the wormy wood out, and one of them dropped their axes and it fell by that stone and it caught and I don't know if it's him or the axe, caught a lot. Uh, was consumed by a fire. Um, interesting enough, um, yeah, the Kohanim Bale Mumim weren't allowed to do the avoid in the base of Midash, but they were allowed to do, they, one of their jobs that they used to do was take out all the wormy wood. You couldn't have wood that had worms or insects in, on the Mizbeach. Um, now we're going back to the poles of the Aaron. We mentioned that the proof that the Aaron was there is because the poles jutted out from the Paroiches, and it was there until this day. So now we're just going to mention that part. That pasuk says, Rabbi Yehuda, Romixiv, Rabbi Yehuda raised the contradiction. It says, They were, um, 
the heads, the tips of the poles were visible. Uksiv and the Pasuk says, but you couldn't see them outside. It says, how's that possible? Were they visible or were they not visible? It says, nearing, no, they could be seen, but they could not be seen. Oh, what does that mean? Tanya, I we have a price which teaches the same thing. You might have thought that the poles were fixed in place, they couldn't move at all. Talmud It teaches that they extended the poles. Oh, they pulled the poles further out. Says So maybe they pulled them till they tore through the paroiches and went out from the Kodesh Hakrosim into the Heichal. Talmud Loimah, the Torah says, that they were not, they could not appear, that they did not appear outside. So, okay, so how do you resolve this? Is isha. No, they protruded through the, into the curtain. They pushed into the curtain, kind of like to um, a woman's breast, through her shirt. So, they, you could tell that the poles were there, but they obviously weren't visible from the outside. And this is Shinemar, as the Apostle says, Tror Hamor, a bundle of, I mean, literally, it's referring to in Shira Shirim, it's on the simple sense, it's a woman's um, perfume incense packet that they used to wear. But here it's referring to the Katoris Doidi Lees, my beloved Ben Shodayolin, resting between the breasts. And this would refer to the two poles jutting through the curtain. Just interesting enough, remember there wasn't, the curtain was the kind of, there wasn't really a curtain in the first temple because there was a wall. There wasn't the official parochas, but there was, I think for privacy, they hung a curtain between the in the doorway of that wall going from the Kodesh into the Kodesh Hagdoshim. Um once we mentioned the love from Shira Shirim between B'nai Israel and Hashem, this, this concept of the Ketores, etc., we now going to measure, mention another concept, another description, another illustration of this love. Omar Rav Ketina. Rav Ketina said, When B'nai Israel would go up for the three festivals, they would turn away the, the paroiches, the curtains, the curtain, and they would show B'nai Israel the kruvim that they were hugging each other, they were joined to each other. See your dearness before Hashem. Like the love of a male and a female. Um, very interesting. As we've... You know, the kruvim, there's a midrash that the kruvim reflected our relationship with Hashem. When we were close to Hashem, well, the, if we were close to Hashem, they would face each other. If we were far from Hashem, they would have turned their back from each other. And when we were very close to Hashem, like at the time of the regal, they would be hugging each other like a male and female. Um, I heard an ask, um, a, good, a beautiful idea from Rav Shechter. He says that um, we find, and we're going to see it further in this discussion, but we, we know this, that the, there's an allegory, the love between B'nai Israel and Hashem is represented through a bride and his groom, a man and his wife, marriage. That's because that, and the Rambam says that, the, the most powerful expression of love that he wants to say, as, as besotted and passionate and crazy you are about a woman, you should, that love should be, your love for Hashem should be greater. But that's this, this allegory of how I love for Hashem and B'nai Israel compared to Hashem or like a, a marriage. And he says, <laughs> this is a very, uh, quite interesting idea. He says, we find that that's why it says, um, as an expression of love, the Pesach says, um, You called your great name on us. And another Pesach says, 
Vinishmenu Korosu Bishmecho, our name is called by your name. I Bene Israel and Hashem take on each other's names. Um, I was thinking it reminded me of the Gomorrah we had with the Tfilin. We said, out Tfilin, we represent Hashem's Yichud. And in Hashem's Tfilin, what does it say? Represents Bnei Yisrael's Yichud. But we take on each other's names. We affiliate to Rav Soloveitchik, point, um, Rav Shechta, point, he says, not surprising that in a day and age where it's now a, now a big thing to keep your own name. I, when couples get married, they want to keep their own name. They don't want to adopt each other's names. It says, not so surprising that the divorce rate has gone up. It says, because it symbolizes, it's taking each other's name, symbolizes that when you get married, you become one unit. But if you're insistent on being standalone and I keep my own name, you're losing track of that vision of one unit. But that he tied into, again, I don't know if it fits in perfectly with this Gomorrah, besides for the fact that we're mentioning and going to mention a few times that the 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 relationship between Bnei Israel and Hashem is like a husband and a wife. Moshe Rav Chizda, But how could that be? It says you're not allowed to see. They could. They were not able to see it until um, what is holy was hidden. And this pasuk is by the Levim. We know in the desert when they used to pack up the. Used to pack up the Mishkan, they would wrap it in cloths, etc. And then the Kohanim would do that, and the Levim would come and collect the, the items, the Mizbach, the Aaron Kodesh, the Menorah, etc., and carry them. Now, the Levim, even though they were the ones who carried them, they were not allowed to see them, they were not allowed to look at them before they were wrapped. So now, all of a sudden, in the mid, by the Mishkan, they were, the Levim were going to carry them. And it's also a limited number of people weren't even allowed to look at them. And now you're saying in the base Amidash they would fold back the curtains and let everyone look at the Kruvim. Sounds like we're speaking about the Kruvim that, that, that Shlomo, it sounds like we're speaking about the Kruvim that Shlomo made. And that's, uh, that sounds totally against this posuk of they should not be seen. So for Omar Rav Yehuda, Omar Rav, Kalim sorry, going back on that, Rav Yehuda says, when is this posuk referring to? And the Levim would go and um, to when the when the kalim were being put into their wrappings, and even at that stage, the levim weren't allowed to look at them. Obviously, we shouldn't be able to just walk up to the festival and everyone gaze at them. So it's Omar Abnachman Moshe Lekala calls Manchi Ibevaisa Viatanua Mibala. No, it's a, it's a parable to a color. When they've just done the first stage of marriage, Jerusi, and she's still modest before her husband, either they're not so familiar with each other, so they're still a little bit shy before each other. Kiva and Shabasa Lebeis Chamel, when she goes to her father-in-law's home, I when she's completely married, Einatanua Mibala, she's not as modest from her husband. I very interesting again. This is describing the development of the relationship between Hashem and Bnei Israel. At first, they were like just a couple who's engaged, who are still shy and modest before each other. By the time they got to, to Eretz Israel and built up the um, built up the base Hamikdash, and these things were going on, they had progressed into a similar stage of Nisuin, properly marriage, when they're not as shy and unfamiliar. And therefore, it's not as bad. They, they were a bit. Uh, uh, the Bnei Israel and the Shechina were more brazen towards each other. I don't know if brazen is the right word, but less modest towards them. Says, oh, but we saw that uh, in the second temple, a Kohen was going to try find the Aaron. He wanted to show his friend where it was hidden, and he died. We see clearly there is a problem with looking at the Aaron. So how can you tell me that Bnei Israel were familiar with Hashem that they could just look at the Kruvim? So Amalei nizgar mart. No, the destruction of the temple was similar to a divorce. 
And once a couple get divorced, when they get back together, well, then they like their original stage of still a modest and not as uh, as uh, not, not uh, uh, were still more modest towards each other. Obviously, Ben Israel were never divorced from Hashem. Golos is more separation, um, taking a, taking a few months. Well, sadly, it's been a few thousand years. Uh, uh, separation to a degree, but it's not not a divorce. Hashem, we are always Hashem's chosen nation. Says inami inema inam ya inema. All you can say, but midas rishon mi havu paroiches. Sorry, sorry, Mister Lam. Oh, but my skinan. When are we talking about? He says inema but midas rishon mi havu paroiches. Ela bimidas shani mi havu kruvim. Can't be the first base hamidas because there was no paroiches to remove. That was a wall, a brick wall. So and it can't be the second base of Mikdash because there were no Kruvim, they were all hidden. So says Lailam Bemikdash Rishon Umay Paroiches Paroiches de Bove. Says no, we're talking about the first base of Mikdash and which which ones we're talking about? The curtains that were on the gates. There were thirteen curtains in the base Amida. Shiva Keneged Shiva Sharim. Seven by the seven gates into the Azara. And Shtayim Achas the Pitro Shal Heichas for Achal the Pitro Shal Uram. And then another two, one from the Heichal, from I guess the courtyard into the Ulam, and one from the Ulam into the Heichal. And Shtayim Bidvir, two between the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Again, this is the second temple, remember where there were those two. And Vishtayim Keneged on Baaliyah, and two on the upstairs. Either words above the Heichal, there was upstairs an Aliyah, an attic, an upstairs chamber. So there's also a curtain between the corresponding upstairs room, that's the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim. But what do we see? So it was these curtains that were blocking the entranceway to look into the Heichal. So those were the curtains that were removed so that Bnei Israel, who were in the Ezras, Israel, etc., could look through the Ulam, through the Heichal, into the says we're not dis- we discussing the second temple and we're not discussing the Kruvim that were on the Aaron that we would not look at that would be too brazen for every Jew coming up for the rebel to just go stare brazenly at the uh, the, 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 the Kruvim on the Aaron Kodesh says we rather we discussing the Pictures of the Kruvim that were engraved around there. Dirsiv, as it's written, as called Koros Habayis Mesakola, all the walls of the temple were surrounded by designs. Kruvim Vitmoros, Kruvim and, um, and, and, Date palms with turret sitzim and blossoming flowers. Vitsipazov Meshora Machuka, and they spread gold over the engravings. And it's written, like the joining of a man who is accompanied. What do we mean by the joining of a man that's accompanied? says, Like a man who is joined with his companion, a husband, these Kruvim were often like a husband and a wife hugging each other. Um, 
So that's the so, so again. So what proving what proving would they see? They would move away the curtain so Ben Israel could see into the base Hamikdash and see these engraved kruvim. But we're not discussing the kruvim in the base in the Kodesh Hakadoshim by the Aaron because those they would not look at. That's the second answer. Tosfos here. I mean, it's a very long Tosfos as you can see. It starts on on Nun Dalad Amud Aleph and goes all the way to the bottom of Nun Dalad Amud Beis. But there he discusses. But wait, you're allowed to engrave images. What's going on there? When are you allowed to engrave images? He starts with, says, and then he, but he, he starts with the question, he says, I've asked about those who draw and illustrate um, sidurs, machzorim, with uh, pictures of animals and birds, is it good or not? And he says, I definitely don't think it's good. People will get distracted by the pictures and they'll forget to direct their thoughts to Avim Shemayim, their father He says, But it's not the Isur of the Lot HaSelachopes or don't make an image because he says that's primarily with items um, with items that are um, that are in, that are embossed, protruding, etc. Okay, not going to go through that whole process, but I thought that was a, a very interesting point. Can you have should should you, and can you have pictures in your sidur? So there's no isur, but Tosfos says it's not a good idea because it's distracting, at least distracting or yeah. Okay, let's carry on with Al Gamora. Now this is this once you've discussed the kruvim hagen. It says Omer Lokish b'shashi nichnas nochrim lahechal. When the Nochrim entered the Hechel, they saw the Kruvim hugging each other, entwined in each other. They took them out to the public market square. This holy people whose brachas are effective and their curses are effective because they're so holy. They are involved with such lowly things. Miyad hizilum, and they they um, mocked or degraded Bnei Israel. Shenemar, it says, Kol machavdeo hizilua. Everyone who respected her degraded her. Kiro ervaso, they saw her nakedness. Um, this is just two points on this. One is at the destruction of the temple, the kruvim were entwined. Why were they hugging? That's when, wasn't that when Bnei Israel and Hashem were furthest apart from each other at the destruction of the temple? So it's to how I think one message could be, you know, like the parable we give. Sometimes when a father realizes he has to um, give his teach his child a lesson, it's a very horrible, unpleasant thing to do because you love your child so much, but you know you have to do it. But through that, you 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 feel more love for your child because you doing what you don't want to do, but you know you have to do it for the, what's best for them. So that could be one answer why. At the, specifically at the time of the destruction, Hashem and Bnei Israel were very, very close, close to each other. Not a, not a pleasant interaction, but a very close and important dear in, interaction. And then a second point is this is this highlights the kedusha of intimacy, is specifically because it's private. As soon as it's public, well then it's. Um, yeah, hard to say, but then it's basically pornography, and that's what the non-Jews they walked into the Kodesh Hakadoshim and they didn't realize what they were seeing—the holy relationship between Bnei Israel and Hashem—and they thought, look at the immorality of the Jews. Look in their holy of holies, in their temples. Look what they have there. And the Mishnah mentioned that stone was called the Evan Shesia. 
Because from there the world was founded. It says, Al Brisa follows the opinion that the world was created from Sion. And now we're going to go through a few. Detanya says, the world was created from its middle. as it says, there was some sand poured into a solid state. and he and clods of earth were attached to it. I Hashem took a little center piece of earth and he built around it with uh, the rest of the earth. Um, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says, no, Nivra, the world was created from the sards. He took four sards and he filled in between them. That's how the world was created. Shinemar, as the apostle says, he will say to the snow, turn into land. With this powerful pouring rain that, uh, I guess, mixed up the earth, etc., to form the universe. Rabbi Yitzchak, Omar, Rabbi Yitzchak says, Even Yara HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bayam Hashem threw a stone into the sea. Mimenu Nishtay Sa'olam And the world was founded from that. Shnemar as it says, Alma Adonel Hutba'u What were on its bases were sunk. Oy mi Yara even Pinasan Or who threw down the foundation, the cornerstone. It was created from Tzion. As it says, Hashem, a, a song to Osof about God Hashem. And the apostle con- continues, Hashem tiber, Hashem spoke, and he called forth the land. It says, And then that carries on, Mitzion, the epitome of beauty, from Tzion, the beauty of the world was consummated. Tanya Rebbe Lezer HaGodol, Oymer Rebbe Lezer HaGodol says, Eile told us, the Pasuk says, Eile told us, HaShomayim V'Oretz B'Hivorom B'Yom Osos HaShem Elokim Ha'Oretz V'Shomayim. These are the, told us of the heavens and the earth, when He created them on the day that HaShem made the heavens and the earth. I told us Shomayim, Mishomayim Nivro. I, the things in the heavens, e.g. the stars, the suns, the moons, etc., were created from the heavens. Told us, Oretz, all the parts, all the things that come forth on the earth, the Eretz Nivro were created from the earth. It was all created, the whole world, the earth and the heaven were created from Sion. Shenemar, as the Pasuk says, and then it continues. Hashem is um, the beauty comes from Sion, and Hashem is expressed. From the Sion, the rest of the world was completed. Um, so that um, that's this idea that the Evan Shtir is where the world was. Um, formed from, as we see, it's a machlokes. Now, obviously, this machlokes is not scientifically how the world was created. This machlokes is, I don't understand what points is bringing out, but it's obviously a theological discussion of the formation of the world, I guess, but hard from the way the world was created. We could maybe understand part of the reason or the background or deeper messages of why Hashem created the world and what our mission is. As I said, I don't understand what the different opinions would mean, but I do think it's very powerful to say that the whole world, heavens and earth, were created from the, evans, from the 
from Tzion, from the Eben Shtia. That's the, the, the essence. In a way, you could say that the essence of the world is Tzion and the Eben Shtia. Again, we go back to this Aaron. That's where the Aaron, the Aaron it was the Kodesh HaKadoshim. It's where the Aaron was. It's what represents Torah. All that going back to being the center of the universe, the fulcrum, the key, the point of the universe is that Tzion. And that's why when we say it was all created from there, that could be what we're referring to. Okay, have a very good Shabbos.